Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. We serve a God of excellence. You know that. In the beginning when he created all the works of his hands, he said what he did was very good. And Moses in Genesis said it was brought to perfection, which means it can't be improved upon. Even when uh, the psalmist referred to it, he said, how excellent is your name in all the earth after talking about how he created everything by the word of his power. And then, of course, when we needed a savior, do you think he looked over heaven and trying to find maybe you might do or you might do? And I don't know, you're, you're not that much needed up here anyhow. I don't think he did that because he's a God of excellence. What did he do? He gave heaven's very best. He gave us his son. He gave us Jesus, whose life reveals to us a pattern for excellence, whose teachings reveal to us precepts and principles for excellence. Also, whose death reveals to us the pathway of excellence. It goes all the way to death. And then, of course, his resurrection reveals to us what? The power and also the promotion of excellence. So we serve a God of excellence. You know what that means? I believe we've all been called to excellence. We've been all, all been called to live a life of excellence before the Lord and serving Him with a heart, just like Daniel did. It was said he had an excellent spirit within him. Like Joseph, whose uh, pursuit of excellence began with the inspirational dream that God gave him. And then, of course, when he was tempted to settle for mediocrity, what did he do? He persevered in faith in the pit, in the prison, till he got promoted to the palace. So you see, there's promotion when it comes to serving God that way in excellence. And so we're really talking about something here this morning that will help aid us and assist us in pursuing excellence also in our walk with God. And so let's begin reading in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. We're talking about adding some things to our faith that will help us achieve excellence in our lives. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Have you obtained this kind of faith? Like precious faith? Are you a person of faith? Then he's writing to you. Wouldn't you say? Sure. What does he say? Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Christ our Lord. According as his divine power has given us a few things that pertain to life and godliness. You were awake this morning. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that's called us to glory and virtue whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and beside this now notice this giving all diligence not half-heartedness but all what add to your faith now notice what he says here virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity so, the Apostle Peter here is writing to people of like precious faith. And last week we talked about these things. We didn't finish our message. I want to continue it to finish it today. He talked about adding to our faith. But notice the words that he chose. We're going to just quickly review. Number one, 
He said, add to your, through diligence, add to your faith. So diligence is the first word. And what does that mean? To bring in effort, to bring in enthusiasm, energy, and zeal. In other words, this is something that we are to really look into and with all earnestness of heart pursue. Diligence. With all diligence, add to your what? Your faith is the second word. Your faith. Our faith is like precious faith because by faith we access the grace of God wherein we stand. And it's by faith that we experience the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. And we enter into our promised land. So we thank God for the faith that we have that we can enter into and pursue all that belongs to us and receive it by faith. But he went on to say, but add to that something else that's needful. What is that? Virtue. Virtue is number three. And that is courage. Actually, we talked about two things. It could be courage or moral excellence. But first of all, courage. He told Joshua, you got to be strong and courageous. Well, why? If he said, I'm with you and I'm going to go everywhere you go, I'm going to be there for you. Why be strong and courageous when God's right there? Because you're going to face enemies that will make you cower in fear. You're going to face some challenges that are going to be difficult for you to overcome. But don't allow fear to enter in and prevent you from going forward in me. Just know this, when you face your fears, I'll be right there and I will act on your behalf. Be courageous, be strong, and don't get discouraged in your walk of faith. So add that to your, to your faith. Also, moral excellence. In other words, choose to live a life that's going to be morally excellent before God. In your conduct, your character, your attitude, the way you speak and talk with people, your moral excellence as far as, immor as your morality is concerned. He is saying, add that to your, to your faith. And then number four, he says, also add knowledge. Why? Because grace and peace are not added, but multiplied in your life. How? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I'll tell you what, I can get you fired up if I wanted to right here this morning. And that's great. It's wonderful to get us flying high in God. But you know what? When your feet hit the ground, you better have a sure foundation underneath your feet. Where you have a revelation of the knowledge of God. What is yours in Christ. What you have. Who you are. What you can do. Why? Because it's the truth. It's knowing the truth that makes us free. And that word knowing that Jesus talked about. Is entering into it in an intimate way. It's knowledge that perfectly unites the subject with the object. They actually come together. Amen. It's not learning about electricity. It's getting zapped by electricity. And you go, I know electricity. Whew. Got to get a new hairdo. Okay, that's the knowledge he's talking about. Then number five, he said temperance. And basically, this is self-control or getting a grip of your own emotions. Don't let your emotions dictate to your life. Get a grip on your emotions. Don't give your emotions the key to your tongue because you're going to spew out some things and say some things that are detrimental to your life. If we let our feelings and emotions control us and dictate to our lives, look out, you're in trouble. But praise God, we can, through temperance, and self-control, we can walk the walk with God and realize that we don't have to give our emotions the key to, you, to our tongue or anything else. You could be angry, but sin not. And don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, in other words. Amen. Number six. Now notice this. Patience, and this is key to the walk of faith. Because it's faith and patience that enable us to inherit the promises of God. So patience here actually means uh, pers perseverance, or you could even call it a form of um, self-control where when you're faced with adversity that you don't get moved by the adversity I like to say it this way it's almost like as if you're following the seasons and there you are and you say I believe I received my healing and it's the sun is beating down on your head 
I believe I received my healing. But then all of a sudden the change is now it's raining. I believe I received my healing. And all of a sudden then the, the cold comes and the snow starts flying. I believe I received my healing. And then a springtime comes and maybe it's a little bit nicer. I, I believe I received my healing. You haven't changed at all. Even though the seasons changed, you haven't changed whatsoever. So in other words, if adversity comes and a statement is made, you know, uh, maybe a, a wrong report, I believe I received my healing. Maybe you have feelings of pain, I, receive, I believe I received my healing. You're staying the same, you're constant, you're immovable, you're like God, you're unchanging. Even though the circumstances change, you don't change because you're in a position of faith and you refuse to change. Through faith and patience, you inherit the promises of God. Amen? So let's pick it up number seven as we continue. Remember, count it all joy. Yeah, before I go there, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What sense does that make? Knowing this, the trying of your faith works. Patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Okay, so what is he saying? When we are facing adversity, count it joy. Now that's the last thing I want to do when I get attacked. What about you? Count it joy? A holy delight? But when you realize it's a command, command joy in the situation. When your feelings and emotions are rising up in agreement with the problem, instead of agreeing with the problem, he says, command joy in the situation. Remember when David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Why was he telling his soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect, why was he telling his soul to bless the Lord? Because he didn't feel like blessing the Lord, that's why. But he said, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. In other words, everything that makes up every fiber of my being, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, and bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and don't forget. It's easy to forget when you're challenged the benefits of God. You realize that? It's easy to forget. That by his stripes we were healed. It's easy to forget. He's Jehovah Jireh the Lord my provider. It's easy to forget. He's the strength of my life. Why? Because your feelings and your emotions. You feel weakness or you feel pain. But he says no. Count it all joy. Command joy. It's an army command. A military statement. Count it joy. Line up. Oh my soul line up. Remember. Don't forget one of his benefits. He forgives every sin. Have you felt condemned condemnation and guilt? Then what do you do? Command, ask God to forgive you and just command joy to rise up and say condemnation and guilt. Get out in Jesus' mighty name. You will not control my life. You feel inferior? Sin consciousness, guilt and condemnation? Speak it out. I command joy in this situation. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I refuse to give place to this. I will not be guilty or condemned because God has redeemed me, delivered me. He's made me righteous and set me free. So you can see it. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies this mouth of ours with good things. So that our youth is renewed like the eagle. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm thinking right now that somebody's out there and you're thinking, Ma, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. You've been complaining about it, murmuring about it and all that. Well, God is speaking to your heart this morning and starts saying, I'm calling it joy from now on. I'm just going to speak out joy. Hallelujah, which is my strength. And I believe that God's on my side. No matter what the situation is, He's bigger, He's greater, He's stronger, He's more powerful, and He's on my side. He's fighting for me and defending me. Praise God. So I count it all joy. Amen? Okay, number seven. Godliness. Now you won't find these verses in your notes, but you'll find them in the Bible. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Godliness. 
Now, this is Paul speaking about his own job description, what God has called him to do. And when we think of godliness, we think of, yes, godly living, living a God-centered life, right? We think about that. But here, let me just explain this. Godliness is more of an attitude than it is an activity. We have an attitude of devotion toward God that will lead to an activity. But more than anything, it is an attitude over the activity. And we'll explain that in just a moment here. Here is Paul's attitude about his mission that he is laboring with the Lord on the earth. He's called to do this. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after what? Godliness. So, in other words, he is saying, I've been called by God, given this job description, it's my responsibility to help people add to their faith knowledge that will lead to what? Godliness in their lives. Again, an attitude. You remember when Enoch walked with God, the Bible says that he had this report that he did what? He pleased God. Notice, it didn't tell us what he did, but it did tell us about his attitude. He had a close walk of devotion with God as a result of his love for God, his fear of God, his love for God, and the desire to walk with God. It led to him pleasing God in his daily life. And of course, then we found out that he was no longer around because God took him away. So our attitude is the main part of our godliness or our godly walk before the Lord. Now look at uh, chapter 2 of Titus in verse 11. Now here we have Paul the Apostle revealing to us the work of grace, or the essence of grace work in the life of a believer. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this should be, once again, an attitude that we have as we live our lives upon the earth, by the grace of God, we're taught to do what? Stand against ungodliness or deny it and live godly in this world. Notice in Second Peter what he said about the coming of the Lord. This is talking about the second coming of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that thee, all these and things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation and what? Godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So we all know that day, that day is approaching. We all know we're getting closer to the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, and then the second coming of our Lord. And what Peter is saying, with this understanding, we all should be moved to do what? Devote our lives in such a way to God so as to walk in godliness and live a life of holiness and righteousness and truth. So when we talk about godliness, we're talking about a duty that we all have to be devoted to God. And out of that devotion for God and toward God, what does it do? It manifests in activities. And what's the activity? Well, it's going to be the commandments of the Lord. Look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is summarizing our duty before God. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. It will manifest. You see, our attitude of devotion 
toward God. Our fear of God, which means reverence for God. Our love for God. And our desire for God. Will translate into an activity. And that activity will manifest and it's called keeping the commandments of God. And although we're not under the Mosaic law. And although we have a higher law in the new covenant, which is the law of love. But if you read Romans chapter 13, what you discover is this. That every Old Testament commandment is fulfilled in the one commandment, the love law. And if you're walking in love and keeping the commandment of love, then we're all going to fulfill all the other commandments. So let's quickly, the first four commandments, what do they do? They outline our duty toward God. These are the commandments that God, and think about it, only four. Pretty simplistic. Number one, what did he say? I'm the Lord thy God, and that's it. Have no strange gods before me. Right? That's it. Simple. So in our devotion toward God, our desire for God, our love and reverence for God, we say, God, you're first place in my life. You're above everything else. Two, no images whatsoever. Nothing else should take your place in my life. Number three, remember his name to keep it what? Holy. Don't use that name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't use it in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Four simple commandments. But the thing is, we're not, we're not under the letter of the law. We're under the spirit of the law. If we love God, if we reverence God, we're living at a time right now when younger people just don't want to go to church anymore. Think about it. There was a time when you couldn't keep people out of church. All of a sudden, we've got all these other means and technologies whereby we can watch church on our phones or we can watch them at home on a TV. And by the way, Andrew will be on at 12 o'clock today, Cornerstone. <laughs> Just to let you know, if you didn't catch it on Wednesday night, 12 o'clock today, Cornerstone on Comcast, his interview. Um, but young people, especially when they go off into the college years and all that, feel there's not a need. But you know, if you have a devoted heart, and you love God, and you reverence God, and you fear God, you're going to want to put Him first in your life. You're going to want to see to it that nothing else comes before Him. You're going to see to it that you don't even think about using His name in vain. And if I can go one step, you know, maybe you think this is getting a little bit too technical. I don't even like saying, oh God. I don't even like saying that. You realize the Jews, when they write an article they will not put the o in g-o-d it's too holy they put a little line there g blank d they won't even say the name of god and it's just important that we realize that he hasn't asked too much of us and then keeping the sabbath day holy and then someone says well that, what about the new testament it says all the more we should assemble ourselves together when we see the day approaching right and so to all of you you're to be commended for just even being here today because you want to come, show your devotion out of your love for God, your fear of God, your reverence for God. You want to say, I'm letting you know, Lord, you're first in my life. That's an attitude of devotion. About the last six, parents, this will cost you a quarter at the door. The last six commandments deal with our attitude toward people. The first four toward God. And the last six, social relationships. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because they're perfect in every way. They're flawless. 
They're faultless. They never make a mistake. So honor your father and your mother. Right? The first commandment that deals with human relationships, social relationships, is telling a child to obey your parents in the Lord. But it's a twofold thing. Parents, that means that you are walking in the Lord, with the Lord, honoring God, serving Him, and pointing your children to Christ. And children, then you are honoring then your parents, holding them in high regard and esteem, and realizing that they've been down that road a, a, a lot more than you have and they can teach you a few things about how to walk with God and so you honor that you respect that and you're at a young place in your life where you may not know certain things but they're going to help educate you train you up in the way that you should go and if you will honor that and respect that out of what your devotion for God your fear of God your love for God your desire to walk in excellence before God he says it'll be well with you and you will live long on the earth you know that comes from from God not the devil he comes to steal kill and destroy so imagine that you've got a promised young person that if you honor your parents in the Lord and you find yourself in a situation where you need God's help, you could just use that as a part of the case that you plead before the throne of God. Father, I've honored my mom and my dad and so therefore I'm opening up my heart to you and I believe I'm receiving your help. He said it will be well with me and I live long upon the earth. Can you say amen? And then thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not uh, kill, thou shalt not bear false witness and thou shalt not covet your neighbor's goods his wife and etc etc all those commandments are listed for us to get an idea uh, about what our devotion to God should look like we should love him and we should love people and he's coming up on that but look at John's gospel chapter 14 verse 21 what it says when you and I make a decision that we are going to be so devoted to God that we're going to get his mind and just say okay Lord this is what you said I should do this is what my devotion should look like this is what godliness looks like my attitude of devotion then would translate into the activity of keeping his commandments he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loves me and he shall be he that Loveth me shall be loved to my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. In verse 23 he said, but if you don't keep my commandments then you don't love me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So in other words, we should, each and every one of us, want to live a life of excellence before God. And show him that we want to walk in godliness. But once again, when we try to get people to walk godly by saying, you shouldn't talk like that, you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't do that. It doesn't start there. It starts with one's devotion. Do you love God? Do you fear God? Do you reverence God? Do you desire God? Do you want to know Him better and walk with Him like Enoch walked? Even like Jesus says, I always do those things that are pleasing in your sight. Why? Because He got His mind. He knew His will. And so godliness is important. Notice that here Peter is doing the opposite of what Paul did. In Galatians chapter 5, he started with what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. But here, he's going the other way, and he's leading up to love being the end, not the beginning. And so, in other words, he's showing us how to progress in our walk with God. Now, godliness, what's the next one? Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 12, a section of scripture that we really should hone in on and, and just kind of dissect it, take it verse by verse, and look at, look at this. Let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. Notice this, abhor, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. What a statement. In our walk with God, out of our devotion for God, 
whatever is evil, we should abhor it, detest it. And whatever is good, we should cleave to it, weld ourselves to it, glue ourselves to it. Notice the first thing he says we should do. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. That means hot, heated. The word fervent there is the same word fervent when the earth is going to melt with fervent heat. Same word, hot, heated love for one another. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them that which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. That means as long as it's in your power to do so, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What a section of scripture for us to really look into and see you can say evaluate our lives are we really following this instruction that comes to us by way of scripture to the apostle paul well let's ask a few questions number one do we really care about other people do we really care about other people ask yourself that question do i care about other people Am I concerned about what someone else is going through at all? And I really thought about this before even sharing it with you. But when I hear or see someone, for example, we just talked about it just a moment ago. Here it is. Love for baby Armani. And you know what? I heard all this, but then I saw his face. And oh my 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 can we get a close up on that or no that's it and it just pierced my soul I know what it does for you 17 month old run over by a car can't imagine what the mom and dad is even thinking about and going through at this moment and we hear about it we may say something like oh that's too bad but ask yourself, do I really care? Do I care enough maybe to be there on June the 3rd and just say, hey, here's $10 to go towards the funeral expenses? Or even to say, I get on my knees as I maybe leave the church or even right here now and just say, oh, Father, I lift up this the heartache and the pain this family is going through right now. Oh, my goodness. I just lift up this family before you now. And I thank you for your divine intervention. And as only you can, the God of all mercies providing comfort for them as they go through this terrible tragedy in their lives. The storm of bereavement is a very difficult storm, even if your parent is 95 years old and they move to heaven. But something like this, and you think it through, 
my goodness, the heartache and the pain that they suffer. Do we really care? Second question. Do we prefer others above ourselves? Do we? He said in honor, preferring one another. You talk about a challenge in your life. Do I really prefer someone else over myself? You see, the walk of faith and love involves ridding ourselves of everything called selfishness. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And Jesus poured himself out unto death, and he did it for you and for me. And he tells us, if I loved you that way, then you owe it to him to love one another the same way. To get rid of selfishness and say, I would prefer you have that last donut over me. All right, let's get really serious. I prefer that you'd have that last meatball over me. Let's get seriously serious. I prefer you have that last slice of pizza over me. You're getting the point. Evaluate yourself. Ask yourself the question. Have I had opportunities to prefer someone else over myself, but I chose myself and not the other person? Well, let's use what? Diligence, energy, enthusiasm, zeal, applying ourselves to saying, hold back, I'm going to prefer you over myself. I'd rather you do it than I, etc. Or have it than I. Question number three. Am I doing all that I can to live at peace with all men? And he said, as long as it's in your power. Now, it may be that in some situations and circumstances, you have no control over how they act or what they're going to do. But if it's in your power to live at peace with all men, then it's our responsibility to do that. So in other words, you might be sitting there thinking, but you don't know what they did to me and how can I... Well, whatever they did to you, if it's in your power to say, you know what? Let's reconcile. Let's live at peace with one another. There's no need for us to have animosity or unforgiveness or anything of that nature. I want to practice what I believe. And what I believe is that love is to be without hypocrisy. I am supposed to love you as I've been loved by the living God, even as Christ gave himself for me. And I'm going to live at peace with all men as long as it's in my power. So if you let them go, you release them, you forgive them and all that. You have no animosity whatsoever. And they say, well, I still don't want to talk to you. That's fine. That's on them. But on you, your heart is clean, pure, clear. You're making it right. You're reconciling. You're making it certain to them. I want to live at peace with you no matter what. Number, question number four. Do we overcome evil with good? And this is, I know... Not something that we probably even think about on a daily basis. When someone does evil to us, is the first thing on your mind to go bake them a cake. Or send them flowers. Mm. That's not how humans think. When someone does evil to us, if someone screams at us, you have a tendency to want to scream back. If someone calls you a name, you want to call them a name back. If someone slaps your cheek, mm. Do you want to turn the other cheek or slap back? You know, natural human nature just wants to recompense evil for evil and, sh and just get vengeance, get revenge. Okay, what do we say in the world? Get even? Okay, 
Some people want to get above even, but anyhow. It's up to us to make a decision that I am going to overcome evil that's done to me with good. And what did he say to do? If your enemy's hungry, do what? If they're thirsty, do what? And what did Jesus say in Matthew 5 when he taught the Sermon on the Mount? Bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. That means love your enemies this way. And that goes against human nature. But he said, look, if you want to be like your father, mature as he is in heaven, then you need to act this way towards those that you call or they call an enemy to you. So live at peace with all men and overcome evil with what? Good. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And so if we show the goodness of God, the kindness of God, and honestly, I, I did this before. Someone was very upset with me because I don't know why she would have been upset with me. I just said she was going to hell. I first got saved. I had no revelation of love. I had no knowledge of the truth. I had no skill or tact whatsoever when it came to people skills and all that. And I just said, hey, I'm saved. I've been born again now. And you know, you're going to hell. That didn't go over too well. I've learned since then that's not how you witness to somebody. Okay? And they were, they were churchgoers and all that, but they never preached born again in that church or anything of that nature. They just went by their own doctrines and rituals and creeds and all that sort of thing. But they were not born again people. And I mean to tell you, this person was highly upset with me, did not want to speak to me. So I went out and bought a living Bible and some flowers. Took it over to the house, brought it to the house and offered it as a gift. Do you know that from that point on, it was like, you know how the scripture says you're pouring heaping coals of fire on their head? In other words, their conscience right now is being so overcome with guilt because they're holding something against you and you did something so kind and so something so nice toward them. You gave them food to eat. You gave them water to drink. And now you're not overcoming evil by knocking their lights out. You're knocking their lights out with goodness, with love. And as a result, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, let him take care of that. And because of your kindness and your wonderful acts of mercy, I'll tell you what, it was, it was wonderful. From that moment on, I was treated like a king. All right, next, number nine. Love. We hear the word love, we think of the word love, and in our society here today, all we do is use it flippantly and loosely, you know, love. How many of love... Anderson's chocolate. Pretty good amount. How many of you love food? How many of you love little puppies? How many of you love spiders? There's one. <laughs> Let's really get into it. How many of you love snakes? Well, there's one, two. Brother Dale, you love any, everything that moves on the planet. I know you do. <laughs> Alligators, right? right? <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Well, how many of you love taking out the garbage? When we use the term love, I love this, I love that, we use it loosely. But in the Greek language, there are four different Greek words for love 
that gives us a better understanding of what love truly is all about. And so, if we just say, I love puppy dogs, and I love my wife, hmm, I wouldn't say that around her. You don't want to make a comparison by using the same term that you love a dog as much as you love your wife, is my point. So the first Greek word for love is eros, E-R-O-S. And if you have never heard this before, maybe, maybe, so maybe you have, maybe many of you haven't. It's where we get our word erotic from, and basically it is a natural, physical, human love. God made us that way, and it's a physical attraction that you might have to someone. And if that was enough for a foundation, let's say a solid foundation for a marital relationship, because you're attracted to somebody, then Hollywood should never have a divorce. Right? You got these perfect individuals that starve themselves so that they can look a certain way and supposedly they're, you know, just prime for each other and fit, beautiful women, handsome men. They get married for three weeks. All right, maybe five. In some cases, six months. And in rare cases, ten years. But it's all over the uh, news all the time. So-and-so is getting divorced again. And then so-and-so is getting married. And the one recently I just saw, they just got divorced. And within two months, they were getting married. So it was just a lot that was going on. If all it took was a natural attraction to somebody, you can find many beautiful women. You can find many handsome men in the world. But that doesn't mean you're going to have a good, strong foundation for a relationship, a love relationship, or a marital relationship. So secondly, when you say, I eros somebody, that means you're attracted to somebody. Storgi. Another foundational stone that is necessary. That word for love in the Greek, it actually means something like compatibility. Something that is so key and essential. Now use this in premarital counseling. Storgi, I am compatible with somebody. Well, there's no need for us to discuss in premarital counseling the things that you're compatible with, with each other. But if you have incompatibilities, now we have an issue. We've got to discuss this and we've got to put, put these things on the table and, and talk through these particular things. Because here's what's happened in a marital relationship. You get two people that are attracted to each other and they just, oh, they're just so infatuated with each other, attracted to each other. You're so beautiful, you're so handsome and all that. But they get together, all of a sudden now, they have different likes and dislikes. This one likes that and that one likes this. This one loves art. She loves art. He loves auto mechanics. And so after the second year of marriage, as they kind of agree to, well, you, when you go to your art shows, I can't stand art. I'll, you go by yourself. When he gets to, he's, he got this 1968 GTO, you know, four, four, this thing is just souped up, all right? And he's working on it down at the shop. I'll spend my time at the shop working on the car. You go ahead and go and enjoy yourself at the art museum. And this goes on for a period of time. That area of incompatibility, you see, is something that wasn't dealt with. And the only way they're going to deal with it is this. Since I don't like it, you go. And since I don't like it, you go. And everything was fine until this beautiful blonde loves auto mechanics. She started working at the auto shop where he's got this beautiful GTO that he's, you know, restoring and all that. And she's handing him wrenches and doing all this different things. She loves it as well. And he's just like, whoo. Women can't like cars? 
And she is over at the art museum, which he can't stand, so he doesn't go with her at all. And she ju- he, she's just having a great time until some handsome young man comes up to her and just says, boy, look at that, and names whatever the, whoever the, or maybe it was a Michelangelo painting or whatever it might be, whoever. And she goes, oh, men do like art. Wow. My goodness. Hmm. And he's pretty good looking too, by the way. And you know where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. it wasn't a strong enough foundation because they were attracted to each other to make the marriage work the incompatibilities that they had were never worked on and so they go in separate direction creating what? distance between each other and before you know it it's getting wider and wider and wider they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker he's spending more time at the shop she's spending more time at the art museum Mm. and then something happens and then they get a divorce etc okay where there's areas of incompatibility we need to work on those and see to it that we make ourselves compatible you may not like sports or you may not like sewing and whatever but the whole point is get together identify the things that you're compatible with and incompatible and deal with it do something about it that's the second word for love but the third word for love is phileo Phileo is love that is based on feeling and emotion. Okay, it's feeling and emotion. It's a responsive form of love. We could call it the highest form of natural human love that there is, that exists in a person's life before salvation. And it's, again, based on feelings and emotions, and it is a responsive type of love. So that means this. When you're courting and you're dating and he's all cleaned up real nice and she's looking real good and all that. Praise God. And you're going on a nice beautiful date and you have a wonderful time together. And guess what? It was her birthday so she bought, he bought her something really nice. And his birthday she bought him something nice. And this is a wonderful relationship because my goodness. When she does something nice for me I do something nice for her. Etc. Etc. It's just wonderful. It's responsive based on feelings and emotions. But the moment she snips at him. He snips back. The moment he's rude toward her, she's rude back. Why? Because that's phileo love. It's responsive. It's based on feelings and emotions. And, you know, it's not strong enough just because they look good. And maybe now they're compatible. But they do nothing about their, their uh, being responsive to each other's temperaments. So, what, what happens? They get angry, anger rules. They get rude, rudeness rules. You see, it's okay as long as you're doing the good thing. Scratching my back, I'm scratching yours. There has to be a higher form of love. Because that's not enough to keep that marriage where God wants it to be. So we take it to the next level. And by the way, this next level is God's love. It's agape. It's divine. It's unconditional. It's not based on feelings and emotions. It's based on principle and decision. We make a decision to love somebody. Feelings and emotions may exist and be there. But they're not ultimately what holds the marriage together. It's a decision that each one makes. And the decision that they make to base their relationship on a love that's called divine or agape love means that they cannot 
say to one another, I just don't love you anymore because it's not based on feeling and emotion. And when people say that, it's usually based on feeling and emotion. I don't feel like I love her anymore. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. You sealed the relationship with blood. Your blood signed the marriage certificate, not ink, in the sight of God. So you have no right to say to one another, I don't love you anymore. And I'll use this in a ceremony and make them know for a fact you deny yourself the right to do that. And here's what I use as an illustration. You buy a car. You love that new car smell. It's beautiful. Wonderful. So excited about it. Maybe till you get your first payment. Okay. And guess what? Let's just say six months down the road, you stop paying for your car. A few months after that, you get a knock on your door. And the fellow wants to repossess your cars out there saying, I've come to take the car back. And there you are standing there saying, well, why? Well, you haven't made a payment in the last six months. We're taking the car off of you. We're repossessing it. You signed in ink. You said that you would uh, pay the payment and you haven't paid the payment. So we're taking the car back. Can I ask you why you haven't made the payment? Some financial difficulty or something like that? Uh, no, sir. No. When I first bought it, that new car smell was so wonderful. But, you know, the kids got involved in playing ball and sports like that. They start stinking up the car. I just didn't feel like paying for it anymore. And I'm sure the guy was very understanding. So he stood there and said to you, here, I'm sorry, take the keys back. I didn't realize that. If you don't feel like paying for it, well, then no, you can keep it. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, you're paying for the car is not based on your feeling, emotion, or smell. It's based on a decision that you made to sign in ink. Well, beloved, when two people get married, they make a decision to seal that relationship in blood. And when they seal that relationship in blood, you're denying yourself the right to an independent lifestyle under God. And you're denying yourself the right to say, I don't love you anymore. It's based on decision and principle, not feelings and emotions. And so agape love, divine love, is aggressive kind of love. It doesn't matter how you treat me. What matters is how I treat you. And you can holler at me, but I'm not going to holler back at you. You can smack me, but I'm not going to smack you back. You can hold something against me, I'm not going to hold something against you. This kind of love is the love that God loved the world with when he sent us Jesus who died for us upon Calvary's cross. God so agape the world that he gave us his son. He wasn't responding to our love for him. In our wickedness and evilness and all that we were doing to, to displease him on the earth. He responded with love anyhow. Because love is not based on feelings and emotions. It's based on principle and decision. So what's the, what's the moral of all this? If you're attracted to each other and you first get married and you've only seen your beautiful wife when she had all her makeup on. The first day after your honeymoon and she wakes up in the morning and she doesn't look like you think there's someone else there. And then she goes into the bathroom, puts on the war paint and comes out and says, she goes, oh, there you are. I'm in trouble. I know I'm in trouble. 
I can get out of it quick. I better not. Oh, it's just that when some of the hair starts falling out and the belly gets a little, never, never mind. Physical attraction is a wonderful thing, but it's not the only thing. And when you have incompatibilities with each other, and all you, your remedy is, well, you go off and do your own thing, and you go off and do your own thing, stop right there. Stop right there. Get together and agree on things that you could be compatible with, and let those become your strengths. Because that second relationship that you have is the second most important one in all the earth. One with God and two with each other. Amen. And then thirdly, respond with phileo love. If she buys you a tie, then you buy her a blouse. What, what am I, living in the 60s? You buy her diamonds. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Make sure you treat her well. Respond correctly. But ultimately, ultimately, you love God, you love one another with this kind of agape divine love that is unconditional. It only responds the way God responds. Can you say amen? We're not going to finish this message again today. I don't know why I thought we would get done with this message today. You know, but anyhow, think about it. He said, if these things be in you and abound in you, live largely in you. You're going to be a productive fruit-bearing branch in the vine. But if you don't know these things, and you know what? You're short-sighted. You, you're, you can't even see. You don't even know the character and the nature of God. So we'll have to pick that up next week, if that's okay with you. Is that okay? Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.